You Can Mentor is a podcast about the power of building relationships with kids from hard places in the name of Jesus. Every episode will help you overcome common mentoring obstacles and give you the confidence you need to invest in the lives of others. You Can Mentor. All right. Hey, how's everyone doing today? This is Zach Garza with the podcast voice, and we're sitting here with Jeff and Kim White. Say hello, folks. Hello, folks. Hi. <laughs> and they are with the 411 house. We are sitting in their living room in Temple, Texas. Came all the way down to Temple today to have a conversation with these folks and just to, um, and just to learn how to become better mentors. Yeah. To go global, we have to go mobile. So Ooh, that's why we visited you guys. Like Take it easy, sir. We're really glad to be in Temple, Texas today with y'all. Yes. We're glad y'all made the drive. Uh, I just want to tell everyone that there's this spot where we just grabbed lunch called Bird Creek Burgers, and Stephen got a chorizo <laughs> oh, it was chili heaven. burger. and uh, Chorizo con queso. <laughs> I don't know who designed that, but they need an award. <laughs> so um, I just want y'all to know that he is filled with fire right now um, yes fire from the might have to go to the bathroom <laughs> eventually. can't talk about that i was going more like fire from the holy spirit oh, okay. <laughs> you apparently were going a different direction <laughs> all right well now that we got the poop joke out of the way um <laughs> steven start us off yeah so jeff kim so glad to be in the 411 house right now i think that's actually a joy that this is where mentoring happens for you guys yeah but would love to hear the story how did we get to here um, can you tell us the story of the 411 house, paint a picture for our listeners? For sure. It started, the 411 house didn't start, but I guess our journey started about seven or eight years ago when I was involved um, mentoring a teen mom from Temple High School. And we had, our girls are the same age. So like her daughter was 18 months and my daughter was too. And we would just hang out and have play dates and stuff at the apartment complex that she lived at. And just every so often as we would do that, more and more families and kids would come out and, you know, we kind of started to get to know some of them as well. And just were like, this is so fun and such an easy way to, you know, get to know this community some more. And so we started every Thursday having pizza and Capri Suns at the park. Um, just And the park is just right in the middle of the apartment complex. So the kids would get off the bus and they knew on Thursdays that we would be there along with some other people, which was really, I mean, all we were doing was building relationships, you know, through throwing the football or, um, you know, kids would pull out their homework on the picnic bench and, you know, we'd help them with that. And so it was very just casual and natural and organic. Yeah. And so there was a core group of kids that we really got to know from that apartment complex and really did life with for a long time. And then they all kind of scattered. And so, um, and then for other reasons, like, you know, the Thursday evenings just kind of fizzled out, but we knew that we wanted to do something more. And I, I really now see that time as us, like just getting to know this community and being in this community and getting to know the families and not assuming things about this community that we thought we knew. And so that was a really, I mean, good time for us to learn. Um, but one of the things that we did see were a lot of our boys just taking a different path and you know, it's, it's not, there's not a formula or anything, but there would be a couple boys and it was like eighth grade. And for whatever reason, there would just be, you know, I think probably puberty and other things, but 
there would just be this turn mm. um, and not all of them, definitely not all of them, but there were some that, that we watched go through that. And that was so hard for us because we genuinely knew these kids and loved these kids. And we knew that that's not who they were. Um, like, yeah, there are things now written down about them that they've done, but like, that's not who they are. And so just watching that and kind of knowing what potentially that was setting them up for in the future, we, you know, just, we wanted something here in the community because we knew transportation was going to be hard. We, you know, we tried to think about all the barriers to kids getting places. Um, and we knew that this was an area that most of them could get to anyway, because the rec center. So we, um, bought this house that was, I mean, holes in the ceiling, holes in the floor, just, you know, uh, basically a foreclosure. And shortly after that, we got a grant from Chip and Joanna Gaines to Perfect. fix it up. I know. I mean. <laughs> to like, like, it's almost like this is a fixer upper. It is. I know. I know. Uh, yeah. Um, so that was just crazy, you know, and, and we were talking earlier just about how you, you kind of have a vision of what something's going to be and you're like oh it's just going to be this little thing where people can hang out and then it kind of becomes more of a thing <laughs> so so renovated the whole house the community pitched in and donated i mean pretty much everything you see here so that is how we got started and we really just opened our doors officially in april so that's awesome i love it so kim so first off you taking your daughter to a park in east temple i would venture to say that that's not the norm Right. Right. And so one, explain to us what East Temple is like and then how that differs from where the other parts of the city of Temple and what stirred your heart to kind of be intentional about building, re building relationships in that part of the city. Um, yeah. So East Temple is um, just the lower income part of the city. And um, I guess I got used to at first with mentoring page that. You know, at first, it's always that first, like, pulling up to the house, and it's like, do I go in? Do I whatever? You know, I obviously stand out here a little bit and just not, you know, kind of navigating some of that. But it was like, as I, you know, met her and met her mom and met other people in the community, I was like, we're all the same. Like, there's not, I mean, I don't know why there's this fear. And so going to the apartment complex, I don't know, it just like they became people that I knew. And so I wasn't fearful, if that makes sense. Can you kind of go into detail about what are maybe some of the common fears? What are some of the common fears that the enemy might speak to us that might prohibit us from entering into the lives of people who are just like us? Yeah. I mean, I think just the fear of safety and the fear of rejection, you know, I think, I think that's one of all of our biggest fears at the core. And so I think being in a place where you ne don't necessarily feel like you fully belong, there's that fear there that, that you're not going to belong or that you're going to be rejected. Yeah. I mean, I think people fear that there's more crime and there's more drugs and all of that. And I don't, I can't speak to like statistics, but <laughs> I would say that it's all pretty much very similar. What, what happens in all different places, it just looks different mm -hmm. And no, either way, the the core of our sinful hearts is all the same. So it might surface differently with this group than it does with this group, but like the core sin or fear or whatever is it's the same. Like yeah. So Jeff, so your wife comes home and you find out that 
she's building relationships in this apartment complex with a baby. Um, <laughs> tell me, like, what's going on in your head? Like, tell me. She became best friends with a baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like, tell me what you're thinking. Yeah, I think, I mean, y'all hit on a good point of the the fear of safety, mm-hmm. especially as, you know, I'm out at my job all day and I'm getting texts from my wife of, hey, I'm headed over to East Temple um, with with my toddler. And um, you watch the news, you, you hear um, like just the community talk yeah. and you think this is not safe. This is not um, a great atmosphere that I want my t- the two people that I'm charged to protect mm. to be put into. So I said, okay, maybe I can come along. And so Kim started this, um, we started meeting Thursday afternoons and um, I had a, a job that was um, somewhat flexible with time so I could come over here and see it for myself. I think that was, that was really the turning point for me is when you see people as people, um, the, the fear goes away. But when you just see people as uh, something distant, something that's not connected to you, and it's easy to be afraid of that, right? But when you connect yourself and you get involved and you meet people in, in a different community, in our case, in, in East Temple, it became clear that it's not the safest area, but I don't think that they were, I guess my fears were, were quelched in the fact that I, they weren't in constant risk of being killed or kidnapped or whatever it may be that you know goes inside of um, a paranoid guy's head like me. But that, that, was, that was taken away. I mean, I think that just building those relationships, seeing it for myself. I think Kim made a good point earlier of how um, the Lord used that time to bring us in and kind of relieve our, or put aside our preconceived notions and see the community for what it is, see the people for who they are, and um, eventually f- organically find the needs that the community may have. It's easy to go in when, and say, here's what I want to do. Uh, here's what I think needs to be done, and I'm going to come in and I'm going to fix stuff. But the way the Lord worked for us is it was a slow build, a very slow burn. It it sh- it was a clear display of just things that we felt like we could we could add, not yeah. fix, but just add. What were some of those needs that you believe that those kids had, and then what are some of the barriers that were keeping them from getting those needs met? You know, honestly for a while, I think it was hard to really figure that out, you know, and I think we probably had it wrong in a lot of ways. And I mean, I'm sure we still do. For me, I saw a lot of like educational needs and just access, like accessibility to things. Um, you know, whether it's the grocery store, you know, there's not a grocery store within walking distance over here. And it's, I think I had preconceived notions also about what the needs were. And so not every one of our kids is like not knowing where their next meal is going to come from. Some of them, that is the case. You know, not every kid whose mom doesn't show up for the school performance doesn't care about them. You know, they might be working, they might be elsewhere. So I just think it was a long process of, of kind of figuring that out. And it's still kind of, I mean, every kid is different. Every kid has different needs. But I think kind of what we went back to was really just, and you know, my backgrounds counseling so that's kind of how I think but was the whole like Maslow's hierarchy of needs you know and just that's pretty much why we decided to like we pretty much feed kids every time we're with them (laughs) because um we think it's a great you know relationship builder and some kids like are genuinely hungry but we try to do it in a way that's loving and you know not like you're walking through a 
soup kitchen or something, you know, we're, um, it's not trying, a handout. It's communal. Yeah. Yeah. It's communal. So we pretty much try to incorporate food any ways that we can. Um, and then building that up to, I just, I think that so many of us overlook the safety and the, um, like comfort aspect of kids needs. And that, that was one thing that like we have been super passionate about in starting all of this. And it's something that I don't think most people, when we talk about it, like don't really understand, but I just, we didn't want to start a program that was like just a program, but we wanted to make sure that the kids knew that they belonged here and were safe here. And just, you know, the research and stuff on kids that come from trauma and just their needs like we just saw that part as foundational and so even now I mean we we are incorporating you know learning opportunities and things like that but it's it's still mostly making sure that they feel comfortable and safe here for me um yeah there was definitely that aspect of it but I think as we started um really being involved in the lives of the families um for me I saw just a a lack of I mean, I don't know how else to say it, but like um, male, I want to say leadership, but I mean, role models, because there were a lot of, there was, like Kim kind of said earlier, there were some kids that have these dads that are fantastic, just amazing guys, and uh, but some of them don't. And some of them have dads that aren't that great. And, you know, some of them don't have dads at all. But I've always, I've seen this, it's just a void. And an adolescent boy is wanting an older man to come along and say, you're good. We, we believe in you. And that's just, that's a void that every boy has in his heart. You know, I was lucky. I had a, I had a dad that told me that, but that doesn't always happen. So for me, that's what I saw. And that's, that's when these relationships started building. I saw these, these kids that were screaming for that. And I wanted a place where they could get it. They, they had guys consistently showing up and saying, I love you. Yeah. You made, you made a bad decision today, but I still love you through that. Like, you might have made a bad decision today, but that doesn't mean that you're bad. Mm-hmm. Amen. Right. Amen. I've made so many bad decisions <laughs> in my life, and my dad would tell me I'm an idiot for doing it, <laughs> but he would still love me, mm-hmm. and he would still say I'm, you know, he's proud of me. And that's just, that's a need. As y'all speak about a safe environment where these kids can really feel comfortable and feel at home, I mean, guys, like this house really is amazing. Like, check the show notes for some pictures because <laughs> this place is sweet. Um, <laughs> but just like, kind of like this house has been put together in an intentional way. Tell us what y'all are hoping to create whenever y'all made it. Um, I mean, we we wanted it to be like this. I mean, like well done. Um, you know, we knew we probably couldn't pay for all of that, <laughs> but. Um, thankfully the community was really generous and you know we have granite countertops and, and I know that all of all of those things are can seem materialistic but the message that we wanted to send to our kids with all of it was that like you are worth all of this and way more even so we wanted to send that message we also we wanted them to I mean be a part of it of the process and so they actually helped us demo the entire house like every piece of drywall I mean, had sledgehammers tearing it down. But yeah, and then we wanted it to be, you know, I think that was a big part too. Like when we would have kids over to our house, there's just, there is something about a home that creates a family feel. um, And that I think 
sends a message to the kids and that I, I really think they've already picked up on. I mean, I, there was a kid the other day that was talking about his group and another group that don't get along. And I was like, well, how do y'all get along so well at the house? And he's like, we just, we just know that we do. And that was huge for me because I mean, I know how easily things can get, you know, heated and people that don't get along can get upset. And, and, you know, we haven't even really, I think maybe one time when I was giving an announcement, I talked about how, like, when we're here, we're family. I think there's so much that kids pick up on that you don't even have to say. Um, and so I think, and, and that was really the picture that we wanted to create. Like, we're doing this in your community. We're going to make it beautiful. It's a place for you. Like, we're doing this for you because you're worth it and you're valuable. And we're going to bring other adults into this that feel the same way about you. And then we're going to continue to show you that it really is I mean it's it is a home um and it's not a sterile meeting place it's not an office building um it's not what um I mean we put it inside of a neighborhood and one thing that we wanted was this table that we're, we're sitting at here is uh, family dinners um someone told me a long time ago that if you ever want to know someone you break bread with them so you share a meal and so Kim was very direct and we want a very long table to fit as many people as possible because we want to have family uh, meals together and intentionally call them family meals inside of this home to make people realize that we are family. This is, this is home. This is safe. This is a safe place where you can be yourself and sit next to your brother. I know with the kids that I've worked with, there's so much isolation. There's so much, there's so many times where they're just alone Mm -hmm. and for them to have a place to come, and to not be alone and to feel like family is a game changer because in some of our kids' minds, family is a negative word mm-hmm. because every time that they think of family, they think of bad. Mm-hmm. But you guys are rewriting that through what y'all are creating here. And, uh, and I just think that that's amazing because God, I believe the Lord works primarily through family and that's what you guys are creating here is relationships through family. Yeah. I, I love the, the sense of belonging that that you kind of attach to one of those foundational needs. Do I belong? Mm-hmm. And I, I would say that most people probably find somewhere to belong, but that place isn't necessarily safe, right. healthy, like creating value for them. Right. And so, um, yeah, I wonder if you guys could speak more to that, that really you're not changing the environment of the school or the environment of the home, but you're adding this new environment where you want them to belong. And how does that affect the other places in their life where, uh, I know it sounds like if you have a place that you belong, that frees you up in the other areas of your life in a way that like just how you meet the foundational need, then there are other things you can dream about and discover. I don't know if you have any thoughts. Yeah. um, So I think, a lot of a lot of things that I heard kind of as when we first started the process was, you know, like from teachers or whoever else, like, you know, we can do everything we want, but if things aren't good at home, like there's nothing you can do, you know, and it just sounds so like hopeless. Um, but I but I do understand what they're saying as far as the value of home. Um, and yeah, it's just thinking through, well, what can we, you know, we can't change their home life if they have a rough home life. But we can show them something else. Like we can show them that this exists. Um, And by this, I just mean like a gathering of people that care and that come together and that 
get along and talk through problems when they come up and just because you can't like if they haven't seen it they can't do it yeah um and so it's not i mean if if y'all were here last night there's there's not anything like there's not rocket science going on <laughs> like we are literally eating dinner playing some games like hanging out um but to see it with that value of of that and then with the belonging thing also i you know, I see us as competition for gangs <laughs> because like, why do kids join gangs in the first place? It's because an older person comes along and wants to take them under their wing and give them a place where they belong and where they feel valued and they feel like they're earning respect. And that's what we want to do also, but obviously in a different way. Yeah. So... <laughs> Hopefully very different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jeff, a.k.a. Big Homie. Right. <laughs> I don't know if we should be joking about that or not. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but here we are. So. I just stated that we are competition <laughs> for the gangs. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good but, because it's so true. Yeah. Because, like, kids want to have a space where they belong in. Kids mm -hmm. want respect. Kids want a safe place where they know that people are going to have their back and where when things get tough there's a place for them to go to. Mm -hmm. And if we don't create that space in the name of Jesus Christ, the world is going to create a place that, that looks like it's safe and that looks like it'll fulfill them, but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, I think that what you're saying, all, although it's a bold statement, it's 100% <laughs> true. Like yeah. <laughs> our kids are going to find those needs met somewhere mm -hmm. and you guys are providing an environment for them to get that met and, a safe way that will never fail them. There is major power in that. We want our kids, specifically our boys, to grow up to be husbands and fathers and to lead families one day whenever they have a family of their own. If they've never seen what it looks like to have a healthy family, the first place that they're going to go to is, man, I'm about to have a family. I don't know what that's like. Oh, wait, yes, I do, because I had it at the 411 house. I'm just going to recreate that. Mm -hmm. This house and this environment, it's giving these future husbands and fathers permission to do the same thing when they have a family oh. and there's major power in that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I wonder if you could speak to some of the positive role models that have come alongside you guys in the home and investing in these kids, any stories or relationships that you, you think embody the reason you guys started the 411 house. Um, yeah. So we've, you know, like I said, we just kind of opened in April. So we're still in that process of recruiting mentors, but we have had um, great men that have come along and that have really, you know, gone all in. And um, we've tried to recruit men in this community also, um, because a lot of these men already have relationship with our kids, you know, have coached them in little league or done things like that. And so um, it's really cool when they show up at the house and it's like, oh, be Mays. Like, you know, they know him, but he's also showing up here, you know, and putting his stamp of approval on, on what's happening. And then the, you know, we've got some younger, like college age guys that the kids think are super cool, you know? <laughs> so, and then of course, just, you know, we basically ask our mentors to, at this point, show up twice a month. And we're just in the beginning processes of kind of pairing mentors and kids up but we're mostly just kind of doing it like as a group if that makes sense and just kind of letting those just because we don't have the numbers yet but 
just letting those relationships happen. But just a fun story from last week. There, we did a scavenger hunt around town because we were missing some paperwork from kids, and we were trying to think of a fun way to, to get it done. And so that was part of the scavenger hunt. But um, one of the mentors took his kids, I mean, just went over the top, like took them all over town, like took pictures with everyone they could find and um, came up with this hilarious rap in the car. And I mean, the kids, like that was probably maybe his second or third time to show up. And the kids, I mean, jump out of that car, are so excited. You know, they're like, we did awesome. Like, we, we're the best team. Listen to our song. Like, you know, we're just on cloud nine. And I just, I love seeing stuff like that because, like, he's, he's got them now. You know, like, those four kids, like, are his. One, I guess, one cool story, too, that we've seen. So th- there was a kid that we knew um, from back when we were at the apartment complex. Spent a ton of time with him. It's just really deep, awesome kid. And then for long story, but we weren't allowed to see him and his brother for like two years, just out of nowhere. It was really hard because he was one of those, and and I've talked to him about this since, but he was one of those that we were really worried about just as far as how angry he was at like age 10 and 11, 11, um, was just one that would, you know, get upset and just storm off every time, you know? So anyway, so just you know, worried about, you know, like, what, what is this going to look like for him, you know, feeling like he really needed us, which I know that that's not the case, but, and then they showed up at the house a couple months ago, and it was just crazy to see, like, how well adjusted he is, and how happy he is, and how well he's doing in school. We talked about it, and I was just like, what, like, what happened, you know, and, and he was like, so you could tell there was something wrong with me. And I was like, well, I didn't think there was something wrong with you, but I could tell like you were going through a really hard time. And I didn't know what that was, but I could tell that, that you weren't okay. And so I asked him like, what, you know, helped like, and he, he named specific people, you know, and he, he was like my time with you guys, my time at, at his friend's house, like where his mom lets the kids spend the night and stuff. And then friends that are supportive and it was just cool to listen to him because it was his only answer was about people. It wasn't, well, I, you know, started this tutoring and now I'm, you know, it was, he needed that emotional stability and that safety and that belonging. And plus it was like an incredible lesson from God for us that like God didn't need us. <laughs> you know, he didn't need us before, but he really wanted to show us that he didn't need us in those two years that we didn't get to see him to show us what he could do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, which is so encouraging and so humbling at the same time. It right? is, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, God, you are so awesome. And you really don't you need really me. You really don't need me. <laughs> and I'm giving my whole no. life to this. I'm going to go cry in the corner. <laughs> right. No. But uh, that's what's so amazing. And the one thing that I really want to drive home there is we as mentors, we don't have to carry the weight that it's us or nothing. Yeah. And that God really can use us but he can also use other mentors and he can also use school teachers and he can also use counselors and he can also use his friends or his friends' parents. Like there are so many different ways that the Lord can transform a life Mm -hmm. that it doesn't have to be us. But I'll tell you one thing that we can do is we can just pray and be like, Lord, whether it's us or not, use some relationship to change this kid's life. Right. Um, And man, he is faithful. Yeah. He is faithful to do that. Yeah, I think that's big. I mean, knowing that it doesn't depend on you. This may just be a season yeah. that you get to interact with this kid. 
And maybe that comes back later in their life. Maybe they remember the season 20 years later and it makes a difference. Maybe they remember it in two days and it makes a difference. Uh, maybe you get to spend multiple years with them. Maybe you get to spend six months with them. But, uh, you know, God's put you in a specific spot with specific people for a specific reason. We don't know what that is. There would, this one kid, I mean, he was, he was angry and I felt like he was at this, this precipice where he, he was going to make a choice and it was going to be, it was going to be good or bad. And I had so much weight on me to say, I've got to pull him over to this side. But there are so many times where he just doesn't, doesn't listen. He doesn't want to be around me. And then we were told that he wasn't going to be around for a while. And we said, like, I felt like I, I was crushed. It was like, he was, he was lost. He was lost to us. And then he shows back up and I mean, Kim and I both got like teary eyed and we're like, oh my gosh, he's, he's back and he's like a normal human being now. (laughs) Like his time away from us, we were, we were completely, um, useless and God still used the environment that he was in to bring him along. And then we find that, you know, he, he credited some of that back to, to the time that we did have with him. Like that's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's good. I I think even just the picture that I have in my head is like, a staircase and that really if you're mentoring a kid from a hard place you're you're step one <laughs> like you're right. that first yep. step sometimes it can feel like your responsibility is to be the, the staircase but really like if a kid is in a relational deficit does not have a positive role model has a hard home life is looking for a place to belong really your responsibility is step one and you can focus on what you're doing and really acknowledge that your relationship is opening up his next step Mm -hmm. and the next step and the next step. So when he lists out you guys and then these guys Mm -hmm. and these guys, Mm -hmm. he wouldn't be able to list out these guys if it weren't for the step that you gave that opened up his heart to seek relationships and find himself moving in that trajectory. So I think that's, what stands out to me with what you said. You're a step on a staircase for these kids and the trajectory is like toward relationships. Yeah. 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 So tell me how you guys handle discouragement and disappointment and that feeling like, man, I, I'm not making a difference and this isn't working out. Tell me how y'all deal with that and how, how you continue serving in the face of that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one thing I was thinking about too when Jeff was talking was just the the long-term mindset that you have to have. And like you were saying with the staircase. And again, I think all of that time was God preparing us. I mean, I don't think like this, what we're doing now would be so hard if we hadn't learned some of these lessons. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if God hadn't been like, bam, with, I mean, with that. And then also I just, I think of another kid who we were really close to that, was in and out of a juvenile detention center. At the time, you know, the first time I was like, okay, like that's okay, we can move on from here. But you know, the second time you get a little more frustrated and then they're on probation and they're still not making good decisions, you know, and it's just like, you know, I, I remember at one point, like he wouldn't go to school one day and I was like, well, okay. I was like, here's the deal. You are now doing this to yourself. And I was angry, like I was just mad and you know, in some ways, yes, but also he's a child and making decisions is not what kids do best. <laughs> <laughs> <Amen>. um, <laughs> so, um, 
but still, you know, he like he still has a hard time. But just seeing glimpses like in him of of who he wants to be, you know, and even the things he talks about and the things that he says sometimes, you know, and I think in a lot of ways we all there's all someone that we want to be or something that we want to achieve, but but we're just not doing it like we're human, you know, like we're not accomplishing all that we want to. So I think just it's for me, it's the combination that I can now see of that long term picture of, you know, I'm probably going to know him forever. So of of just the the long term and then also the expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just him going to juvenile detention is not the problem. You know, it's whatever he's wrestling with, with, you know, how he sees himself or whatever that is. But, um, so just kind of not making the issue, the issue. I mean, I, I hate it for him. I hate when he has been there and knowing that that's where he is and knowing that he's not having that belonging and all of those things that he needs. But yeah, yeah. it's, it's hard when you can't make a decision for someone else. When you see the good things that could be possible if you choose the door on the right and then you watch them walk through the door on the left. Um, and it's discouraging. I mean, it, it really is, but I think God's been good for us of just taking away, I guess, almost like the urgency in my heart of I've got to do this because this needs to be fixed now, but it doesn't. God's, God's story for this, this kid and all these kids is written and it's, it's hopefully better than even what I'm thinking. It may not be, but hopefully it is. And ultimately I have to believe that it's, it's there for a specific reason too. So just to think about that, get away, get away from the urgency issue and, and just consistently show up and say, man, that's not the way I would have chosen, but you know, I'm going to, I'm going to pivot with you. And now we get to walk through a couple more doors here and another couple steps. Yeah. For so many of the kids that we spend time with, like, we see the people that they want to become, Mm -hmm. right? Like our kids have such good hearts. Mm -hmm. They just can't figure out a way how to become who they want to become for a number of reasons, right? There's always a reason why. Mm -hmm. And for some people, it's their home life. For some people, it's where they live or their parents or just the things that have happened to them. But I mean, it's just like, you know, Romans 7, I do not understand what I do for I want to do, for what I want to do, I do not do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is. It is no longer I myself who do, who do it, but the sin that is inside of me. Mm-hmm. And so it's that mixed with the Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. And just like you see your kids through both of those mm-hmm. lenses and just like, man, Lord, like, he has such a good heart and he wants to do well, but it's not happening mm-hmm. at this point in time, God, but I'm going to hope and I'm going to trust that you have his future and that you are ultimately going to take care of him. So. Yeah. And I think we have to see ourselves in that Romans passage. Like we have to know that that's us too, so that we can empathize with where our kids are. Yeah. Um, just like it looks different to them. I mean, it might look like a different fruit in their life than it does in my life but I like don't do the things that I want to do and I do the things that I don't want to do um because I'm still being sanctified and 
um, I think that that helps with discouragement too when you can see yourself um, in your kids. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what I hear is that like mentors like tend to focus on prevention when really our focus should just be compassion Mm -hmm. and understanding the reasons why things go the way they do. And that my job isn't just to ascertain, oh, 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 I got to make sure I tell you, like, you remember when you did that and that's what happened? Like, <laughs> right. that's why you keep going back to juvie and, and all of those things. That's like every mentor feels like that's his lane rather than feeling for the kid and just growing a sense of compassion for a situation. And I think recognizing the needs behind those things. Right. That the kid will probably never recognize that that's what you're getting at or hitting at. But he doesn't need to know because later on he'll he'll recognize it. I think of like all the the men in my life that it wasn't until college that I recognized that my girlfriend's dad loved me so well and brought me to his table, showed me how to interact with his family, ask other people questions about their life. I don't feel like I knew how to ask other people questions because <laughs> I was just so ingrained on people are asking me questions. Right. I'm important, like, and so. It's it's kind of like the things that you don't recognize you're learning right. just because someone's being compassionate with yeah. you. Yeah, and if you think about it too, like the the peop- the mentors that do, and I've been there too, that tend to you know want to fix and are panicky and whatever. It's like what are we, what message are we sending to our kids with that? We're sending them a message of like we need to panic over this, and you know, um, and that they're, and that, they're a project. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it's just. I think just thinking about the messages that you're sending your kids in the ways that you're handling situations even. I feel like when I first started trying to mentor and try to like introduce myself to these kids and build a relationship, it was awkward at times at first. And I always felt the tendency to kind of make it like the after school special. Like if, if y'all are a little younger than me, but if y'all ever watched (laughs) GI Joe, the cartoon, um, it was 28 minutes of cartoon. And the last two minutes was, a little life lesson and then the kid said oh thanks joe now i know and gi joe said and knowing's half the battle and that's how i wanted every one of my uh, interactions with these kids to end was i pat them on the back and i say hey knowing's half the battle and they give me they give me a smile and a wink and thanks, it'll thanks, be okay jeff. joe thank you mr jeff i sure do love you this has been a swell time exactly high five yeah <laughs> And it's just rainbows and unicorns everywhere at that point, but that's not the reality of yeah. it. The, the reality is just uh, the consistently just breathing life into these kids. Yeah. They don't want to hear my life lessons. They yeah. just want life. Wow. Yeah. Kids. <laughs> Whoa. The kids just want to know that you care. And, um, and yeah. Don't give them life lessons. Give them life. That, that's huge. Man. You just make that up. I did just make wow. that up. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> Can you sure put that in your book? Podcast. <laughs> that's a new T-shirt. <laughs> that's actually really good. Jeff, I read something somewhere that there's a history even behind this house about an old lady. I think her name is Miss Captain. I'd love if you shared a little bit about that history and how that relates to what you guys are doing. Yeah. So what's what's funny is we had no idea about the history of this house. Um, we bought the house because it. It was affordable, and it was in... Because it had a huge hole in it. It had a, two, <laughs> two huge holes in the roof and a significant amount of mold and rot and rats, um, all of which have been removed. 
Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like looking around my shoulder. I know. The Lord restores. <laughs> but yeah, that's we bought this house because it was it was affordable. It fit into the plan that we wanted, and it was in the geography we wanted because it's it's in the middle of the community uh, we wanted to be a part of. Um, it's on the footpath of most of our kids. It's right across the street from large soccer fields, the summer the swimming pool, community pool, um, and then the rec center. So there's all these aspects to it that just made sense for us. And then we get in here, we start swinging sledgehammers and axes and knocking walls down. And there were still a couple plaques up on the wall tucked in this one corner of the living room back there in that corner. And I pulled one of them down and I looked at it and I said, well, Myrtle Captain, like I, I don't know why that name's familiar. And then, duh, it hit me. That's that's the name of the street on the other side of the house. It is, it's Myrtle Captain Drive. Um, so Kim and I did a, a Google search and uh, we found who exactly she was and it turns out she was um, a civil rights activist for this town that was actually kind of the the lead charge of uh, desegregating temple schools she worked as an equal opportunity um, commissioner at fort hood she was just she was a, a local civil rights activist that fought for the kids in the community which is just such a funny like god thing to have this be her house to when even one day i was i was dropping some i was dropping a car off over here and i needed to uber back over to my house and if you've been in Temple, there are two Uber drivers. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that is it. Um, but one, it just so happened, the one guy that picked me up, when, when I walked out, he said, we started talking as we drive off, and he said, how do, you, how do you fit in at this house? And I told him a little bit about 411 and Bridgie's Temple and what we had plans on doing. He said, you know, this is, this is Mama Mert's house. And I said, yeah, yeah, I've definitely like, heard of Mama Mert and all the amazing things she's done in the community. And he said, you know, I lived uh, three houses down from there growing up, uh, but I lived at Mama Mert's house because she brought in the community. She brought in all the kids in this community, and she fed them, and she cared for them, and they all knew her as Mama Mert. And here we are. That's, <laughs> that's our goal. And it's just this awesome historical precedence of this physical location, and now it gets almost like a, a regeneration, yeah. a rebirth in this community to a whole new generation of this community. Like it's just, I mean, it's been an amazing um, just revelation from God of something that we never planned, never expected. And we've heard that from other people in the community. Mm -hmm. Like they're like, I grew up there. Like she raised me. So yeah, it's crazy. It's almost like mama Myrtle prayed for her impact to continue here. Like, mm -hmm. I just think that that would be so cool if she could look down and be like, I asked the Lord that what I started wouldn't stop. And it hasn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because of you guys. So Kim, so we spoke earlier about how you have a background in, in counseling. Can you just kind of share how that has impacted uh, you as you have built relationships with kids from hard places here in Temple? Yeah. Um, so I, after I finished my degree, I was pregnant. And so I, you know, I was going to stay at home once Grace was born. And so, um, it's fun. I mean, I had an internship for a little while and I worked for CPS for a little while, but after that, I have not like officially used my degree. <laughs> um, but it has, I mean, come in handy so much just with, you know, from there was when I did a bunch of stuff with young lives and, different programs. And so, but I think really, I mean, one of the things that I learned about just 
you know, just love like reading about counseling type stuff was um, just like TBRI, trust-based relational intervention. Um, and so got to learn a lot like about Karen Purvis and um, what she did at TCU and sit in on some of those conferences and stuff. And I'm so glad I got to do that early on because it really helped me understand our kids um, and just the effects of trauma starting from when a baby is in the womb and just the effects on brain development. Um, and so kids, you know, that if, they're, if it's a stressful pregnancy, if it's a stressful environment that they're in, even as newborns, you know, people always say like, oh, it doesn't matter. They don't remember. <laughs> they do. I mean, they don't remember, but their, their brain remembers. And then obviously, you know, growing up and it's just like the number of traumatic events or the consistency of trauma. And when I say trauma, I don't even necessarily mean like one horrible event, like a parent dying or something that that is trauma too. But um, it also goes back to just like that feeling of neglect and of not being safe and not being taken care of. And I think one of the biggest things to remember in all of that is the feeling of being safe. So it, it doesn't say that the kid has to be safe because a kid can physically be safe and you can tell them that they're safe. But if they don't feel safe, that's the same, you know, that is creating trauma for them. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times if, if our kids, you know, have a tough life at home or, you know, and they're, they're at home and let's say everything is fine, but let's say a parent is really unpredictable, you know, like maybe they have an alcohol problem or something. And so they're really unpredictable. So in that moment, the kid is safe in his room, but he is anticipating not knowing what's coming, when it's coming. Um, and if you think about a whole childhood of, of that or of something similar, it, you know, research actually shows different pictures of kids' brains that have gone through trauma versus those that have not, which sounds really depressing, but it is reversible, which is just incredible to me that like a, a kid's brain can change. Yeah. Um, and, and that is, you know, why I'm so big on the safety and the belonging and all of that stuff, because it is rewiring their brain, literally rewiring it every time you are, do every time you're making them feel safe, every time you're, you know, helping them work through a problem that, that they think is just the end of the world and that they're going to give up on every time that you continue with that patience like you're rewiring their brain. <laughs> I mean, it sounds crazy, but so if, you know, and maybe that's something too, that if you have a hard time and are feeling discouraged and you're not getting the result you want, think about just what you are doing towards that kid or how you are acting towards that kid and what that's doing for them and their brain development. Mm. Cause their reaction to it doesn't matter if they're, if they're still receiving that from you, yeah. they're receiving it. So yeah, the input. Mm -hmm. the, the input, input is yes. so much more valuable to look at than the output. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, that's something that we were talking about over lunch is, as a mentor, it is easy to get discouraged because sometimes we don't see lots of fruit. But instead of focusing in on how they're receiving it or how they're reacting to our support, focus in on the amount of support that you as a mentor are giving them, are inputting, mm -hmm. right? And, like we as mentors, we can't control how they receive or react, but what we can control is how often we show up, 
and the words that we say and the environment that our presence creates. Those are things that we can control. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. And I, I think a lot of pushback with, with some of this I know is that people think that it means like you're not going to give kids boundaries and you're not going to, you know, ever tell them no. And that's not what it means at all. Um, but it's, it's that balance of like, of communicating that well and not saying, you know, not having this like harshness about it. Like it just is what it is. And this is why, and I want you to understand like all of that is important too. It's not just like a feel good thing all the time. (laughs) You've got to have that balance. So sure. What has been the most effective part of your ministry? What has shown the most fruit? Um, and what should mentors, whether they're with you or with someone else, what should they start doing or keep doing? Kim. Kim is the most effective part of our organization. (laughs) (laughs) She is the energy, the engine that keeps us going. So she's definitely that. But what bears the most fruit is just the relationships, the consistent um, relationships that don't offer judgment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just the only thing I was going to say on that was um, I think that a lot of times we can be, you know, nonprofit organizations and ministries and all that can be really focused on like what we're doing. And I was probably not correct to say in the nonprofit world, but I a lot of times I'm just like, I don't care what we do (laughs) Um, as far as like the hands on. You know what I mean? Like the we can do this activity or we can do that activity or we can do you know, obviously schoolwork is important, but like, as far as all that goes, I'm like, I don't really care about that. I care about the relationships that that builds in the process and, and the interactions that that allows for, you know, I mean, that's why I loved the scavenger hunt. Like it was an hour of driving around town and now, you know, those kids are so bonded with that mentor. Mm -hmm. It's almost like relationships change lives. I mean, where have I heard that before? (laughs) It's true, but like so, so often I love to sweat the small stuff. Like I don't know what we're going to talk about. I don't mm-hmm. know the curriculum. I don't know. And at the end of the day, it's like none of that really matters. Relationship. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, I think it'd be valuable just because we don't we don't get to usually talk to husbands and wives yeah. mm-hmm. who are doing this work together. Mm-hmm. And I think you guys provide a different skill set that I think really goes well together. Mm-hmm like you talking about being Enneagram one and then we got our Enneagram four over here. You can check our show notes for the Enneagram <laughs> test. If you'd like to be tested. I, I think that really equips you well to be a family that provides a sense of belonging. And I don't know if you have any thoughts, something you could share about the power that you guys have found in mentoring together as a family and yeah, anything meaningful that you guys have learned in that process. Yeah. I mean, I think, we, I mean, we definitely are wired very differently. And then like, even what you were saying about boys growing up and, and needing that approval from a man, that's, you know, that's just not something that I naturally would have thought of at first and not really something that I saw, like, I didn't see as the value in that and in it being a man at first. But then, um, so I think it's, it's cool because we are wired differently, but it's been a process of like figuring out that that's okay and not like me trying to make you do things my way. Not saying that I never did that, but <laughs> <laughs> never, <laughs> um, happened. never, <laughs> but um, you know that like you are who you are and God has equipped you for this. And I ha- am who I am and he's equipped me and he's continuing to equip us in the process. And my gosh, we don't know everything like, you know, I mean, whenever you think you do like it all just starts over. Um, but I think also for our kids, 
just being able to, you know, they've been a part of a lot of it and they're nine and seven. And I know that it's not something that they fully can understand, but it's just like we're talking about with the kids we mentor, you're living life with them and they're picking up a lot in the process. It's hard when you have your own kids and you're working with other kids, you know, there's dynamics there, but we just, we try to be as intentional as we can in explaining why we're doing what we're doing and they might not always love it and they might not always be cheerful, but we, we ultimately trust that like, this is where God has us and that we're not going to put too much of a burden on our family. That's not, I was, I'm trying to balance the idea of like, it's, it is a burden in some ways. Like God, God doesn't call us to, you know, just make sure that life is easy for us and our kids. Um, he definitely calls us to do things that are outside of our comfort zone and that even, you know, quote unquote, take away from family time. But um, our prayer is that this would actually add value to our family and not take away from it. Yeah, I think that's big. Like we want family time as a core family, the four of us, right? But at the same time, we want to show our kids God's family. And that's one thing that this has been able to do. Um, sometimes kicking and screaming, but sometimes joyfully, uh, depending on their moods when they come over here. But they, they get to see God's family, the, the mosaic of God's family actually together and at work. I think for, for us, I know when we started, we both had a tendency to uh, kind of decompress after uh, an event or a, like um, an outing and say like, well, I probably, Kim, I probably would have handled this this way. And she said, well, I probably would have handled your thing this way. And um <laughs> There was, and that it made it kind of hard on us at first, but I think we kind of found this level set of, yeah, we are, we are uniquely created and with different skill sets, with different ways of doing things. And we eventually settled in to allow each other to go about things in our own ways and which makes it authentic. These kids may, they come to Kim and they may get, they, they may get a different reaction. It may be a lot more energetic, um, <laughs> a lot more like lovey dovey and hugs. And then they may come to me and I may slap them on the back and tell them I'm proud of them. And that's all I, I want to say. And that's all I feel like I need to say, but I'll look them in the eye and I'll tell them that. And it's different. And I think God designed it to be different. That's, that's the key. And so she does, she gets to do things the way she's designed and I get to do things the way I'm designed. And I like that in this environment, in a home, because it really is us being God's family here. Kim takes on more of a motherly role. I take on more of a fatherly role. But I think that's that's perfect for what we have wanted to create here. Has it been worth it? Hundred percent. Yeah, without a doubt. Nah, but I will say I have been through months where I would have said no. Yep. There there have been some hard. It's been um, a process, and at times a grind. Yeah. Um, and there were times where we both said, "What in the world did we just do? <laughs> what have we gotten ourselves into?" But. God allowed us to persevere through it. Jeff, Kim, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for hosting us in the 411 house. Yes, absolutely. Uh, that is such a blessing to us to kind of see where your work's happening. Um, so it gives us a mental picture. Unfortunately, everyone else in podcast land doesn't get to see this. <laughs> Actually, you can check the show notes. We'll post some pictures. How can people connect with you guys, follow your story, your journey? Like you kind of said, Kim, if this doesn't work out, who, how can they see uh, the demise of <laughs> 411? 
Um, or if you, or who wants to watch us fail? That's right. We started with sledgehammers. We'll end with sledgehammers. <laughs> No, so how can people yeah. connect with you guys? Um, so we have Facebook and Instagram. Um, our Facebook is the 411 Temple, and Instagram is the 411 House. And um, yeah, connect with us there. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your journey. Thank you all for coming. Yeah. Thanks for actually stopping in Temple. No one yeah. ever stops in Temple. <laughs> they just drive through. It's Thanks a nice little city. <laughs> I like it. It's pretty great. Um, all right. Hey, if you, listener missed out on all the good stuff that Jeff and Kim talked about today. If you just heard one thing, let it be this. You can mentor. You can mentor. Do we have to say it too? <laughs> <laughs> you can mentor. <laughs>